Amen, amen. Grab a seat. My name is Ernie. Ooh, is that how we start this morning? My name is Ernie. I'm the pastor here. Great to be with you. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning at Mercy Hill Church. Uh, if this is your first time, you're jumping in right in the middle of a series we're calling DNA. Uh, it's where we're talking through the DNA of our church. Uh, two weeks ago, we started, we talked about gather. What does it look like for us to gather as a church? Why do we do it? Man, what, like, what is important about that? You know, we just coming together, sing a bunch of songs and, are, and do this and hear a little lesson. Or is there more to it? And we believe there's absolutely more to it. If you have not heard that, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. And then last week, we talked about, uh, get, not give. Oh, my word, where are we? We talked about grow, all right? And we talked about how we want to grow in our love for God and our love for people. We talk about as width and depth. Our depth, we grow in our deepness and our love for God. With, we grow in our love for those next to us and around us. And this week, we're talking about go, okay? And when we say go at Mercy Hill Church, what we mean by that is that we run to the people where we live, work, and play to share the gospel with them. That are we are the ones that are sent out to go to those people, and we really want to do that. And before we get too far in this talk, I need to let you know, at the end of this time together where we're talking, I'm going to ask you to make a decision. Every single one of us has a decision to make, and so and you're going to know what that your choice is by the time we get to the end of it, because the question is going to be clear, and the answer is going to be very clear as well, but every single one of us needs to make a decision, and the reason why I want you to do that is you're not here just to have a lesson. You're not here to go, oh, that was nice. That was some good life advice. We're here to be transformed by the Word of God. Amen? All right? And as being transformed by the Word of God, we actually want to change how we live and what we do. We actually want it to take root in our hearts and begin to express, be expressed in our life. So there's going to be a moment at the end of this sermon that I'm going to ask you to make a decision to take a step to where your life begins to match more fully and more honestly what the Word of God is calling it to be. But as we talk about Go, this is typically the sermon, and I've given many of these kind of sermons over my time in, in ministry, and it's typically the sermon that people go, oh my goodness, it's this one. We're going to talk about doing the thing that I want to do, but I don't do, uh, but I want to do it, but I don't do it, and now I'm going to feel bad because I don't do it, and for the next 25 to 30 minutes, that's what I'm going to feel, is that I should be doing this thing that I'm not doing. And first of all, I, I know there's probably a lot of you feeling that way because statistically you know that you're not alone in feeling that. You may feel like you're the only person that doesn't do that, but statistically, what I've read and seen is about 90% of Christians never share the gospel with anyone outside their family. Now, I don't think that statistic is true about Mercy Hill Church, but I think it is true nationwide about Christians. And it's a convicting, sad stat that has to change. It has to be different. Now, if you're feeling that way and you're thinking you're going to get beat up for the next 30 minutes, you're not going to. Because I believe in God calling us to share the gospel is not what he is, is that he wants something from us, but he wants something for us. That when he calls us to do this, he doesn't call us to do it so it makes us uncomfortable, or that we have weird relationships, or that you could do something for someone else, but it's going to cost you. I think he actually has something for you. In fact, I think many Christians are dissatisfied and have stale walks with Christ, even though they may have quiet times consistently, they come to church consistently, uh, they're in their connection group, they're involved in a Christian community, but God just seems stale and not, and not close, and he doesn't feel like he's doing much because that's the only place you're with God, but I think God is calling us to be a part of the mission field. In fact, when you follow Jesus in his teachings, his, his greatest moments of transformation 
and his disciples were on the field, not around the fire in conversation. And maybe what we're really missing, if we want intimacy and depth, if we want to see it, have a transformational, great relationship with Jesus, is that we got to get out of the practice field and get into the game. Because when we're here, yes, we're worshiping Jesus. We're being edified by the word of God. But I think there's a transformation that he wants to have in your heart and my heart outside of the walls of this building, outside of this community with people where you live, work, and play, where he wants to do a transformational work in your heart. He wants you to get in the game. And many of us, we're just practicing. We're just reading the word of God, and we're wondering what it would be like to be obedient to the word of God in those areas. And guys, the game is always more fun than practice. You know how I know that? I coached eight-year-old boys basketball last year. I stopped playing organized basketball at the age of 10. We went undefeated, all right? It was about hustle and defense. That's what it was all about, tenacity, all right? But you know what those boys wanted to do at every practice? Is they wanted to scrimmage. They didn't want to practice layups. They didn't want to practice defense. They want to practice any of those things. They want the scrimmage. They want to play the game. And see, this is what I'm telling you guys. This is where we got to switch it off. We're going, oh, my gosh, here's this thing I have to do that I don't want to do, but I know I need to do. Okay, I'm so scared to do it. Guys, God is not calling you to use you to do this. He's calling you to do this because he has something for you. He wants to show you that the game is better than practice. That just thinking about being obedient to Jesus is not as fun as actually being obedient to Jesus. I'm going to tell you a little silly story about how this worked out in my life, how that maybe how I got in the game. Not really. It's not it has anything to do with that, but a little silly story kind of relates to it. And you're going to judge me for it, too. Uh, in my, my late 20s, all right, in all my 20s, my early 30s, I used to walk around. I had friends that played board games. Any board gamers here? All right, yeah, some of you. I looked at that, and I was like, that is the, the silliest thing I've ever seen. I'd be like, adults don't do this. Children do this. We give these to children to occupy them so mom can have a break. Like, that's what I thought. I was like, I'm not ever doing that. And one day, I go over to these new couple's house with my wife, and we're becoming friends. And we get done, the ki- get done eating and having a good time. The kids are in the back playing, and, and they pull out a board game. And I give Laura this look like, No. I told you these weren't good people, you know. That's what I was thinking in my head. I told you they weren't good people. This is not for us. And, and, and they bring out this game called Catan. Anybody played Catan before? All right. And I was like, he's explaining to me, like, you're trading hay and stone. I'm like, this is so silly. And, I, and 10 minutes into it, I'm screaming at the guy, go, give me the stone. All right. I need it. And I'm having so much fun. I'm losing my mind. I go home. I Google it. I buy a $50 expansion pack of the game. And I'm trying to convince everybody to play the game because it's amazing. I'm like, this is awesome. All right? And you're like, Ernie, what's your point about board games? Guys, I think sharing the gospel is a lot like that. I had a lot of misconceptions about playing board games and playing that game particularly. Many of us have a lot of misconceptions and lies about what it is to share the gospel. They think, hey, this is only something that professionals do. If you do that, then you should be on staff at a church because only people on staff at a church do those kind of things. But if you actually did it, I think you'd become as addicted to it as I was the Catan at that moment. That you just want to do it over and over and over and over and over again. Because what God is calling us to is not to take from us, to give something to us. 
And there's an experience that he wants to give to us. But our hearts and our minds are filled with all these misconceptions and all these lies. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Exodus 3 and 4. And we're going to see the calling of Moses. He has a calling that's very similar to ours. And in three, but in chapters 3 and 4, you see all the lies and misconceptions he has about following this call that God's placed on his heart. And, as he, and I think as we look at those, it will begin to expose the lies that we believe. And that God's word will have a chance to transform it and change it in us. That we'd be different because of it. So let's pray. And then we'll jump into Exodus 3. Jesus, open our eyes. Transform our hearts. Bring conviction, encouragement, admonishment, whatever is needed in my life for me to look more like you. I just lay myself bare before you at this moment, God. And I pray that these men and women do the same exact thing. That we would have a heart that wants to be more like you. Because we know, God, in being more like you, you're not going to take from us, but you want to give us something. And so, Lord, please give to us generously what we need this morning in order to be more like you and experience this abundant life that you've called us to. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. Okay, so let me give you some context. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with Exodus, the first two chapters of Exodus works like this, okay? There's this guy Moses who is born into the family of Pharaoh. He's raised by his own family, but he's born in the family of Pharaoh. In fact, he's a part of these group of people called the Israelites. The, the, the Egyptians don't believe the same thing that the Israelites believe. In fact, the Egyptians have enslaved millions of the Israelites. And so he should be a slave, but he's, he's, born, he's born as a Jewish person, found by a princess of Egypt, and then she takes someone under her character. She's like, oh, he's cute. He's like a puppy. All right? And then as he grows up, he grows up and he begins to see what's happening to the Israelite people and he can't ignore it anymore. And at one point, he sees one of his people being abused badly by an Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. And what Moses thinks at this moment is he's going to start a rebellion because he has some power in being a part of the Egyptian people. But being, excuse me, being in Pharaoh's house as a Jew, he thinks he's going to start a rebellion and people are going to start following him. But the Jewish people don't follow him. In fact, they threaten to rat him out. And then Pharaoh hears about it and says he's going to kill him. And so Moses leaves. He's exiled for 40 years. All right, this is the first two chapters. For 40 years, he's, he's gone into the wilderness, and he's picked up a job. He's got a family, and he's working as a shepherd just way off, far away for a long time. So think, not this happened last week. Think this happened 40 years ago, okay? So chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Well, quick thought right here, guys. Most scholars believe the angel of the Lord is actually Jesus because he speaks with such, because of how he speaks with authority as if he is God, okay? So most scholars think this is Jesus. So Jesus shows up and it says he appears to him in a flame of fire out of the mist of a bush. He looked, and behold, a bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burning. Okay, so what happens is Moses is moving his flock around. He sees this bush. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. I would not walk up to that bush. All right, but maybe as a shepherd, your days are really boring. You're spending time with sheep. You're like, ah, oh, why not? Let's walk up to this bush. This is crazy, okay? And in verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him 
out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here's God calling to Moses saying, come here, come here. And he said, and Moses' response says, here I am. And in verse 5, then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for this place. The place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Okay, crazy. You're like, hey, it's kind of crazy. He's not afraid of the bush that's burning but not being consumed. But then he hears God speak, and all of a sudden he's immediately afraid. Why is Moses immediately afraid? Because Moses knows God's holy, and he knows he's not. And he knows God is about to do something. He's about to call him to something. And we see it in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people, who are in Egypt, and have heard their cries because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians, and bring them up out of the land to a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. Go down to verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." Now we see right here why Moses was afraid. Because when he came face to face with the Holy God, he knew something was going to happen. And here's the call on Moses' life. In fact, it's a call on all of our lives. We all need to write this down right now. When God calls us, he calls us to send us out. When God calls us, he calls us to send us out. God is calling Moses in at this moment. It's his calling. Now, we get weird about that word call because plenty of you will come to me like, Ernie, I just don't know what my calling is. And what you mean when you say that is like, what job should I take? What major should I have? Uh, you know, what trajectory of life should I go? Should I do this or that? There's a decision that you have in your mind. And those are important things to bring to God. But that's not what we mean when we talk about God's calling on your life. When you hear the word calling, think commission. All right? that you've been drafted into God's family and now he's commissioned you. He's placed an ultimate purpose on your life. And your ultimate purpose, and the shortest version I know it, is to know God and make him known. And he's placed this calling on your life. And it's not to stay just in Bible study. It's not to stay just in church. It's meant to go out, to be sent out. See, right here in this story, Moses has a calling from God to go to Egypt and set people free who are being oppressed by the enemy. They're being oppressed by the Egyptians. And he's meant to call them out and to bring them to a promise. Now, we're not meant to do the same thing as Moses in this way, but God has given us the same calling. He has shown up in our lives and has given us a calling to go out and to those who are oppressed by sin and show them the land of promise, which is the gospel that they could be free from it. Amen? That's our calling and it's always it is always calling us out it's always God's calling is always sending us out and it's always sending us to someone there's story after story I mean if you just look at it in in Genesis 45 Joseph was sent to save lives in a famine Moses is here to save those who are oppressed Elijah was sent to influence the course of international politics Jeremiah was sent to proclaim God's word Jesus was sent to proclaim liberty to the captive to recover sight to the blind to set liberty of those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord in his favor the disciples were sent to preach and demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God Paul and Barnabas in Acts 11 were sent 
for famine relief. And then later in Acts 13, sent for evangelism and church planting. Guess what? King Jesus has sent every single one of us. You know why we meet at 1002? Because 1002 in Luke 102, it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers. And then right after that, Jesus looks at his disciples and said, I'm sending you out right now. And he did it again in Matthew 28. says, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe all that I commanded you because I'm with you always. Acts 1.8, he says, I, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Your calling is not uncertain. It is as clear as could ever be. There is no ambiguity. And he is sending us out. Guys, I believe Cincinnati, this city, this, the campus is here. I believe they are filled with people who are waiting to hear the good news about Jesus. I heard a story last week about how one of our members shared the gospel with a guy named Max. Max becomes a Christian. You know what the first thing Max told that member of our church? He said, I can't believe no one has ever told me this before. Why has no one sat down and told me this before? God is teasing out eternity in people's lives, a longing for freedom and mercy and grace. And he always uses people, not programs, people to do it. You know what else he said was pretty cool? A week later, Max calls that guy back and says, you know what I want to do? I want to have a pool party of all my friends. And I just want to share what I've heard so that they can know. May God give us a heart like Max. May God send us out with our hearts on fire to love people and love God. Now let's get back to this story. Because at this moment, Moses is not jumping up and down in excitement with his, com his commission. In fact, over the next verses, we're going to see all his reservations. And we're going to see all the lies that he's believing. And at the end, we're going to get to the core of the issue. But I think by seeing these five lies that he believes, these five reasons why he can't go, I think we could see ourselves some of the lies that we believed. And God, through his word, will be able to detangle those lies from our hearts and set us free to walk completely obedient with God. Don't you want that, church? Say, I do. Come with me, guys. All right, verse 11, we see the first reason. He says, I don't have the credentials. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? What Moses is saying is like, hey, do you know who I am? Do you know my resume? Like, think about it. He, he's a shepherd. Yes, at one time he was a prince, of Egypt, but now he's a lowly shepherd, and he's being asked to go to the most powerful person in the world and, and order that person to be like, hey, Pharaoh, you know all those millions of people that uphold your economy because you have free labor off of them? Let them go. It sounds insane. It would like be like a plumber declaring war in Ohio, going to the governor's place and be like, hey, with this plunger in hand, and be like, hey, I heard from a burning bush, no more taxes. They'd be like, all right, crazy Eddie, get on out of here. That's what Moses is like. He's like, who am I? I don't have the ability. 
I don't have the reputation. Do you, do you know what the Israelites think of me? They don't think much of me. They're not going to listen to me. He's like, maybe 40 years ago, if you had showed up 40 years ago when I was still a prince of Egypt, maybe at that moment, God, when we had that conversation, something could have happened. Guys, is that you? Do you look at your past and think, man, maybe if those people hadn't seen how I behaved that one Friday night. Maybe if they hadn't heard me talk to my kids that way. Maybe if they hadn't seen me on my worst behavior. Like, God, do you understand how much I've tarnished my reputation with them? How much I've messed it up? Is your past failures marking you in such a way that you feel paralyzed to not do the thing God is telling you to do. That you're looking at God and going, it's too late. Look at God's response to the lies we believe. And look how gracious he is. Look at verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. We look at God and say, I've failed too much. And he says, but I will be with you. I. What a powerful statement. Guys, it's like this. We, there's a gym right over here, if you didn't know. And we could play five-on-five five basketball. And we could put the best five basketball players in this room on one team. And the four worst basketball players, like, can't even dribble on one team. And put Steph Curry on that team, you know what team's going to win. Steph Curry. Why? Because he's a game changer. He is so much better than everyone in that gym that doesn't even matter. Guys, the spirit that God has placed in your heart is so much greater than anything you will come up against. Amen? It is of infinite power, and it rests with you. And when God commissioned us, guess what he said? I will be with you to the ends of the ages. He is with you. In fact, in Ephesians, it says he goes before you to prepare the works that you're going to walk in. And he's waiting there for you to work within you and through you to other people. I am is with you. That's what Paul means. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? We have the ultimate cheat code. Your past does not hold you down. Here's the second lie. What should I say? Verse 13, Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses is basically saying this. He's saying, Hey, uh, can I get a business card? Who are you? I know who you are, but how will they? Like, I need your authority. Can you tell me who you are? What am I to say to them? How? What do I do? What do I say? Sometimes, as Christians, like, we have such fear about talking to that person, and you know God is pressing on our hearts to talk to them about it, because we're like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what to say at all. I know there's something in my heart that wants to come out, but I don't know what it is. Look at how God responds. See, God responds in two things. He says this. He says, Tell them my name and tell them my words. Look at it in verse 14 and 15. He says, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Kind of sounds like Popeye, right? All right, it's not Popeye. I'm going to tell you about it in a minute. And he said to them, say this to the people of Israel. I have sent 
me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Okay. He says, I am who I am. It sounds kind of like Popeye. I think Popeye stole it from him, but it's it's a, a, a really significant phrase. First, he's acknowledging God is looking at Moses and saying, hey, this is the way I introduced myself to Abraham. I'm the same God that introduced himself to Abraham. That's the God who's speaking to you now. And also, we need to understand a little bit of Hebrew. That word I am, all right, it doesn't mean just like a static existence of something. In fact, in Hebrew, it means to be and to be actively moving, okay? So when God says I am who I am, what he's saying is I am the God who acts past present and future. I'm not like the other gods that you pray to and they don't hear you because they're not there, but I am actually a God who is actively working and will actively work on your behalf in this moment. So when you say, I am who I am, when God says that about himself, he's saying, Moses, I'm with you and I'm going to act. You're going to see something happen. And why does he tell him this? Because he wants him, he wants them to believe him. He wants Moses to gather worshipers of himself. You see it in verse 16. Now, here's the thing we need to hear, guys. God still wants to be known by his activity today. He still wants to be known by his deeds today. Not just his deeds 2,000 years ago. Not just his deeds 4,000 years ago. Not just his story in a book, but how he has actively transformed and changed your life. See, when you bump up to somebody and you don't know what to do, You tell him who God is, and you tell him what he's done, how he's transformed and changed your life. Tell him what he's done in history, but yes, tell him what he's done in your life, and that's what he's telling him here. He says, you don't know what to say? Tell him what I've done. Tell him who I am, and tell him what I've done. Then Moses has another one. He says, no one will believe me. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. God has just told them that they will believe him, but Moses is lacking trust and confidence in what God has said. When we doubt like this, we lack trust and confidence in what God is going to do. It is God that changes hearts, not us. Our confidence needs to be placed on him. In fact, when Moses says this, when he says, no one's going to believe me, God graciously gives him three signs. One is, he says, hey, throw the staff on the ground. And when he throws the staff on the ground, verses 2 through 5, it turns into a cobra. The cobra was the sign of Pharaoh. He would wear it on his hat. And he tells Moses to grab the snake by the tail. I don't know if you guys mess with snakes. I'm from Louisiana. I messed with a lot of snakes. You don't grab a snake by the tail, particularly a cobra. It's not the way you pin their head to the ground first. But God's sharing something with Moses about his authority. He's saying, hey, that powerful snake over there that thinks he's the king of the world, you're going to grab him by the tail. And Jesus one day will crush his head, but you're going to grab him by the tail. And it's going to turn back into your staff. And the staff of the Lord is going to have the authority over the cobra. He's saying, hey, I have the authority. Then he tells him the second sign is he puts his hand in his coat and pulls out its leprosy. And he puts it back in and it's clean. He's saying, hey, Moses, I have authority over life, death, and sickness. 
And the third sign, he says, go to the Nile and pour out some of the water on the ground. And it'll turn to dry blood. He gives Moses a third sign. And he says, there's going to be other signs that come. See, what King Jesus is telling Moses at this moment is he's saying, you don't worry about them believing. You just do what I told you to do. I'll take care of the believing part. Our job as Christians is not to make people believe, but is to share the truth and let God work with the transformation of their heart and the changing of their life. And some of you are like, Ernie, what is my, what is my sign? Moses got three. What's my sign to talk to my neighbor? It's a greater sign. It's an empty tomb. Amen? The sign that we have is that our Savior died and rose again. And we don't go visit his tomb and see his body as some martyr as every other religion has to. Our God is alive. And that's the promise we have, that we have an empty tomb. That there is no reasonable explanation other than he walked out of it. Here's the fourth thing he says. Maybe you've said this too. All of these, by the way, I've said in my heart and done. I don't have what it takes. Maybe that's the lie you believe. Moses said to the Lord in verse 10, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow to, spe- to speech and of tongue. He says, hey, I'm not good at speaking. And we don't know what his issue was, whether it was psychological, like he was scared to talk in front of a bunch of people, whether it was educational, like he was a poor speech, like public speaker, or it was vocal, like if he had speech impediment or it was verbal, like he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to translate the words correctly. We're not sure what it is, but, but we are certainly sure as this, that he felt like he didn't have the skills or the abilities. You ever felt that way? You feel the nudging of the spirit, you're like... I'm just not the best person to talk to that person. If only I can get Timmy here or Ernie or my friend or whatever their name is, if only I can get that person to talk to them. Look at what God says in verses 11 and 12. He says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you you shall say, you shall speak. You know what God says? This is irrelevant. He says, it's irrelevant that you're not good at talking because I've made your mouth. He goes, God is looking at Moses saying, don't you know that I know your shortcomings in speech, whatever it is? Don't you know I understand your weakness in this? Of course I'm asking you to do this because in your weakness, my glory is made more manifest. See, in your weakness, guys, God loves to use you in your weakness to show off his power. Not only that, he says, hey, not only do I know your weakness, but he says it's relevant because I will be with you, be with your mouth. Guys, God is looking for reporters, not orders. You don't need to be elegant in your speech. You don't have to have a certain gift. You just have to report what God has said 
See, the problem that Moses is having right now and struggling with his calling is that he's all focused on him and not on God. Look at three. He's going, I, 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 I. Guys, don't you see in the lies that you have that go on in your mind and heart about sharing the gospel? It's not based around who God is, but around you. We need to consider God more than we consider ourselves in obedience to sharing the gospel. There needs to be moments where you say, like, I, you're right, I can't do it, but God, you can. In fact, he's calling you to do something you can't do. You can't change somebody's heart. Only he can. He's calling you just to share the news. But Ernie, I'm not good at teaching. That's okay. God knows your mouth. He knows, it. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you're not good at. We need to trust God, yes, in our abilities and our disabilities. In our strengths and our weaknesses. God is greater than both. And it's all his work anyways. Finally, in verse 13, we get to the heart of the matter. Look at what Moses said. This is the last reason. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. You know what he said? I'm not committed. This last excuse is not much of an excuse. In fact, it's a denial. It's saying, God, I'll pass. I don't want to do it. And here, finally, see how Jesus responds angrily but yet graciously. He says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. God gets angry, not because he's fed up with all the questions. But I think this last thing really reveals the heart of Moses at that moment. That he's just like, I just don't want to do it. And God's frustrated with Moses at this moment. Because his heart is hard towards God and the suffering of others. And he cares enough to care, but not enough to actually do something. Honest question this morning, guys. As we've worked through all these excuses, is this really where you are? This is sometimes where I am. Where I feel the nudge of the Spirit in my life, but I don't want to do it because it's inconvenient. Because it'll be uncomfortable. Because the condition is really, I care more about my comfort than that person's eternity. But really, the issue that's in my heart is not so much about doubt, but disobedience. But do you see God's response here? When God bumps up to my doubt, when he bumps up to my disobedience, he doesn't love it, but he still loves me. 
And just as God did with Moses, he says, hey, here's Aaron. He'll walk with you through this, but I'm still going to use you. He says that to us. He brings a community of people around us that says, hey, they'll walk alongside you during this, but I'm still going to use you. Even when your heart is in the worst situation, the call remains. Look at the story. Who is still the voice of God? Moses. He's still calling him. He's still going to use him. Guys, that is grace. That is mercy. That in this moment, God will look at me and look at you and all of our disobedience and say, I'm still going to use it. I still want to have this for you. Think about this for a second. Moses ends up going through with this calling. And look at all of what he experienced. You think he would have done it again? He has all these fears, all these lies, all of this brokenness in his heart. But because he was obedient, he got a front row seat to watch God do miracle after miracle after miracle and see people and himself be completely transformed by the presence of God. Guys, that is what God is calling us to. That is what God wants for you and wants for me. That when we would go to where we live, work, and play, that those people would begin to be transformed and we would be transformed. And you'd look back at those moments where like, man, I have no idea why I was so worried about that. God had that. Here's the question. I told you I was going to ask you a question. I was going to make you make a decision. Are you going to be a part of the 90%? Are you going to be a part of the 90% that keeps this treasure to themselves? Are you going to grow that other percentage? Are you ready to be in the game? If your answer is yes, write down a name right now that you know God has been pressing on your heart to share with. That you would be like Max. I can't wait. And you'd pray that they would actually be like Max too, that they'd be like, I can't wait to hear this. See, the wonders and signs that Moses got was to see God work. And I promise you guys, if you get in the game, you're going to see God work. It may not be easy. It may be hard. There may be rejection. But I promise you, you're going to see God work, and it's going to transform and change your life. I want to be different. I want to go to where I live, work, and play. I want to see my neighbors be transformed by the gospel. I want to see people who are broken and lost and oppressed by their sin find hope in Jesus. And I want to do it because I know God has something for me. He just doesn't want me to do something. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this dialogue. How crazy it is that you had it recorded, that we would know this conversation. A Moses, a guy that we would typically look up to, that we would say, oh my gosh, what a hero in the faith. And we see this vulnerability of him just wrestling with obedience to God. But God, thank you 
for all the chapters that follow that. As we see that you're a God that actually does what you say you're going to do. God, I pray for these men and women right now that what wells up in their heart is not condemnation, maybe some conviction, Lord, but really what I pray is that you give them anticipation to see you work and move in the people that they love or don't even know. And they would begin to bubble up with excitement about seeing God work and being with God. Lord, I pray that we would see men and women turn their eyes to you and find salvation in your name. I pray that you would use them, that there would just be stories after stories, that Cincinnati as a city would be turned upside down by a group of people that just meet in a cafeteria. We can't do it, but you can, and you want it more than we do. And God, you are calling us, you are beckoning us, and it's not to use us, but it's so that we can have a front row seat in seeing you work. Jesus, please work. Please send us out. Please to fashion obedience within us that leads us to joy and relationship and transformation. God, I am begging you right now to do that in our hearts, in my heart, in my children's hearts, in my church family's heart. God, I pray as those names are written on the page that you'd begin to touch and move the hearts of those people. That they would be pre-ready for the conversation of the gospel. We want to see you move, Jesus. We want to see dead people come alive. We want to see brokenness unbroken. We want to see people that are captive free. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen.